So we're in a series right now on discipleship, and Jeremy's going to continue that series. Next Sunday, you're going to be able to see his heart. That was one of the things that when you kind of identified your ideal candidate, that you as a congregation really wanted to focus on discipleship, growing, making disciples, and equipping those disciples for life. And so that actually was really a very important part of his ministry. It, it continues to be. He was very excited about that. It resonated with his heart. So that's one of the many characteristics that you as a congregation um, were, uh, you believed that God was leading you into, and he brings that skill set to the table along with several other skills that you'll find out more about over the next several days. So today we're going to continue talking about discipleship, and we're going to do something a little different this, this uh, morning. We're going to spend some time focusing on the Holy Spirit's role in uh, discipleship. Just a quick reminder, some of the ground that we've covered so far, uh, a disciple is someone who daily follows Jesus, and that's committing to Jesus in our head, believing uh, with our mind in who Christ is, but we're also changed by Jesus, and that's owning it deep in our hearts, and then we're on mission with Jesus, with our hands and our feet to, um, to serve this world in Jesus' name. There are multiple elements of disciple-making. We've covered several of those. Over the past few Sundays, we talked at length about Jesus himself and the role that he plays. We focused on Scripture and the formative nature of Scripture and the discipleship process. We've talked about intentionality. We've talked about relationality. Today, we're going to focus on the Holy Spirit. And in a couple of weeks, when I'm back with you for the first couple of Sundays in March, we'll focus uh, those couple of Sundays on story and growth. So today, uh, we think a little bit about last Sunday. I, I put something on the table for you to consider on this intentionality side and this relationality side, and that is being a church that contemplates forming discipleship groups. And this doesn't have to be highly structured. Uh, you don't have to spend months and months and months preparing for this. As a matter of fact, any of you can say, hey, I'd like to gather a couple of people around, and I would like for us to read through 1 John together, or I would like for us to read through uh, 1 Peter together, or whatever it might be, or look at a spiritual discipline together, and just walk with one another for six or seven or eight weeks and we covered these steps last Sunday. Just listen. Where's God working? Be in prayer. Uh, recruit some folks to come and join you on a journey for a little while. Prepare. What are we going to study? How are we going to spend our time? Uh, engage in the study. And then after six or seven or eight weeks, then release. And hopefully, prayerfully, those folks who are participating with you in that brief stretch of the journey will then want to go and do the same thing. So when I think about this process, it's, it's kind of in a microcosm what you've experienced as a church at a macro level, this, this search process, this search journey that we've been on for several months now. Well, this is kind of a miniature version of that um, with a dis different desired outcome, and that is growing in our relationship with Jesus, growing as disciples so that we can be a people who are then prepared to make disciples. The Holy Spirit is at the heart of all of this. Holy Spirit is mentioned a little over a hundred times in the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Sometimes it's hard to know when the word spirit that is used in the Bible in many different ways, it could be the, the, the spirit of a conversation. Uh, it could be uh, our 
spirit that we have as human beings. It could be the Holy Spirit of God. And so sometimes it's kind of difficult to know when Scripture is addressing God's Holy Spirit or when it's addressing spirit in another term. Well, one of the best keys to identify if the Holy Spirit is being discussed is most of the time it will be capitalized. And so that's when you know Scripture is talking about God's Holy Spirit. Sometimes even the translators have a little bit of a challenge knowing. And so you may see an asterisk or you may see a footnote, and it could be translated small s, or it could be translated big s, but those are fairly rare. Most of the time, it's pretty easy to see in the text when God's Holy Spirit is mentioned, and when the Spirit is working, and how the Spirit is working, and what that means for us. So a couple of things I just want to draw your attention to this morning. We're going to look at several texts. Uh, There is no way that in one sermon we can exhaust all there is to know about the Holy Spirit, okay? Books are still being written about the Holy Spirit. And uh, so what I want to do this morning is basically just whet your appetite. And my prayer would be that as we get into this study today, that your curiosity will be piqued and you will want to know more and that you will engage in the Word of God in your own personal study to find out as much as you can about God's Holy Spirit. And I will tell you this, if you studied it the rest of your life, you still would not be able to plumb the depths of all there is to know about the Holy Spirit of God. A couple of things that come to mind when I think about the Holy Spirit and as I think about what Scripture has to share with us about the Spirit, and remember specifically today, we're talking about the role of the Spirit in discipleship as we walk with one another in fellowship and discipleship, becoming more like Jesus, hopefully ultimately making more disciples of Jesus. One of the things that I first notice is that the Spirit of God constantly calls us God-word constantly calls us Godward, closer to the Father, closer to the Son. Consider a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, for example, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this, I believe, is one of the most powerful lines of Scripture in all of the New Testament. And that is what some of you were. Past tense. Why? Because you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the, say this word with me, Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God is powerful. Perhaps the most powerful cleansing agent in all of the universe By the Spirit, our sins are washed away. I made this statement, the Spirit continually calls us Godward. As as long, and it's so important that you hear this, as long as you have breath in your lungs, the breath of God speaks to your heart. God is trying to woo us into relationship with Him. God never makes us be in relationship with him. Instead, God's Holy Spirit speaks into the internal and the external noise of our lives 
and I think shines a light into the darkest corners of our hearts and our minds not to ever play gotcha, but to release us from self so that we can truly live. A church, this empowers us as followers of Jesus to live as Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, um, once encouraged. We can be people who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, resist the temptation to be powerful, resist the temptation to be relevant, resist the temptation to be popular, and simply follow the way of Jesus. The Spirit plays another role in, dis in discipleship, and that is this. The Spirit's goal is conviction, not condemnation. The Spirit's goal is conviction, not condemnation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, backing up chapter, we read, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Surely God is judge, and surely God is going to judge. But God's desire is to convict us of who he is and who we are in him. He is not willing that any should perish, right? He's not in the condemnation business. He's in the conviction business. Yes, surely there will be condemnation, but it's not the primary goal of the Spirit. The more we are convicted of God's truth through the power of God's Word, the more confident we are in who we are and whose we are. Think about it. Think about the difference just for a few moments. The condemned experience shame and guilt, but the convicted experience peace that passes all understanding. The condemned, well, their deathbed is almost always filled with regret, but the convicted, their deathbed is filled with anticipation. The condemned are afraid of getting caught, but the convicted have no fear. Church, don't ever forget these words of Paul in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the, say it with me, Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit's role, goal, is conviction, much, much more so than condemnation. And in all of this, we see as we look at the Word of God that the Spirit teaches us in all things. I just put this spectrum together because I want you to see how comprehensively the Spirit works. Whether we are experiencing great victory or whether we are experiencing great pain, the Spirit has something to teach us. 
If we're experiencing joy on the one hand or deep suffering on the other, the Spirit is always trying to show us the will and the way of God. If we're in a situation that's really, really good or a situation that's really, really bad, guess what? The Spirit has work. Whether it's life or whether it's death, the Spirit is always, always teaching us. Jesus made this promise to his disciples in John chapter 15, beginning at verse 26. When the Advocate come, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now, I want you to notice that John ties together the previous teachings on Jesus as the vine. Uh, he also incorporates the world's hatred of his followers. He talks a little bit about the work of the Spirit. And then he says, all of this, all of this I have told you so that you will not fall away. He goes on to tell them, they're, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are actually offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Now, what's hap what happened to his disciples then, in many ways, is happening to his disciples now. Why? Why? Because there are a lot of people in this world who do not know the Father. Many years ago, I went to a college football game. Now, I grew up in Middle Tennessee, and for some reason, I don't really know the full story because he didn't go to school there, but my dad was a Vanderbilt football fan. Now, when I tell people that, most people just feel sorry for me, okay? Because um, I grew up being one as well. But when I was a little boy, my dad took me to the games. We didn't live that far from Nashville, and it was a, a lot of fun. You know, one of those things you enjoy doing as a, you know, a, a little son, a son when you're with your dad. So we went to this one particular game, um, and I won't tell you the other team. Uh, their mascot is, is volunteers, but I won't tell you the other team's name. Um, so, so as we were coming into the stadium, one of the fans of the other team, the other unnamed team, began to be kind of rambunctious. And anybody that came in wearing bandy um, colors, well, he began to yell at them and, um, and, and say some less than kind things. So my dad and I are coming in, and it's my dad and, and me and in our my two little boys. We have twins, and they were, I don't know, five or six years old at the time. And so this guy decides to start yelling at us as well. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, whatever. Well... As he's making kind of a, a fool of himself, my, my dad kind of just turns around and, and the guy yells at my dad. He says, come on up here, old man, and I'll take you out too. Now, you can say pretty much anything you want to me, okay? I'm pretty easygoing. I'm pretty laid back. But you mess with my dad? I think probably that is the angriest I've ever been in my life. I was really angry. I was really, really angry, and um, it took me a little while to cool down, and he finally quieted down, and we went ahead and lost the game like we did every single time we played, but anyway, um, fan is short for what word? Fanatic. Yes, fan is short for fanatic, 
and that young man was quite fanatical. Now, later that evening, I was lying in bed, and I realized a couple of things as I was kind of replaying that image over and over in my mind. One of the things I realized was this. He was intoxicated. Okay? He was intoxicated. Now, what does being intoxicated impact? Our Many things, right? But our judgment. Being intoxicated impacts our judgment. Um, he also, and before I go there, let me, let me draw a little parallel here. The world right now in many ways is intoxicated. I'm not talking about alcohol intoxicated. I'm talking about intoxicated with certain ideas, intoxicated with certain ideologies. Um, and guess what? It is impacting their judgment to the degree that even the most simple the most basic of concepts and ideas are absurdly twisted. But that's what happens when you're intoxicated. Second thing I realized was this. He didn't know my dad. Because if he had really known my dad, who was a great servant and a man with an incredible heart and a, and a man who loves the Lord, and loves people, my hunch is he wouldn't have spoken to him that way, right? Because if I told you a lot of stories about my dad or you met him personally, well, the more you know about him and the more you understand him, the more you are to trust him. I think we're in this place where the same is true of our Heavenly Father. Um, maybe God is a little bit more difficult to get our head around and get our, our heart around, but the principle remains. Our intoxicated world doesn't know our dad very well, right? So what does discipleship yield? Hopefully, prayerfully, a very different outcome as we introduce people to the Father and then walk with them into relationship with him. The Spirit also, in the context of discipleship, continues to encourage, always encouraging. And I love these words in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, Paul writes, from um, whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through uh, his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have great power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now I'm going to ask you a question that you have probably never been asked after hearing a passage of Scripture read. Here's the question. Do any of you say y'all when talking about you all? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, some of y'all say y'all. That's great. That's great. Well, I live in Texas, okay? So y'all is about as common as howdy. We say that a whole lot. Um, and morning, we cut off the G, okay? So we say morning. Uh, but recently, I came across a resource that is totally changing how I read 
Scripture, and I want to introduce that to you all this morning. I want to introduce the y'all version, the y'all version of the Bible. Now, you may think, well, that sounds kind of silly. Well, just hold it, hang in there with me for just a little bit, okay? Modern English does not distinguish between you, singular, and you, plural. So this plug-in, the y'all version, uses regional English equivalents to represent the Hebrew and the Greek forms. Are you with me so far? Okay. So if I say you singular, that could be one person, first person singular, second person, uh, or uh, second person singular, second person plural, is it you all or you individually? All right, so let's read this passage again. Let's read Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 again from the y'all version. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he may grant y'all to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person, that Christ may dwell in y'all's heart through faith, so that because y'all have been rooted and grounded in love, y'all may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that y'all may be filled up to the fullness of God. Now, I can't begin to express how important it is that we understand that the work of the Spirit is profoundly powerful in community. Our Western ears and our Western eyes hear and see me more than we see us when we read Scripture. And that's one of the reasons that it's so easy for people to walk away from one congregation and go to another. And this is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Later in verse 26, he says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Can you imagine walking down the sidewalk and all of a sudden there's just a hand lying in the, on the sidewalk? Wouldn't that be really disconcerting? Wouldn't you be concerned? Wouldn't you call 911? Wouldn't you take action? It just doesn't even make sense to us, right? We can't get our head around that. Well, that's what Paul wants us to understand. Look, when it comes to being the body of Christ, this is important business. It's the work of the Spirit. One of the things that just frustrates the daylights out of me is when I hear a Christian who leaves a church say, well, my needs just weren't being met. Seriously? Seriously? It's about the work of God's Holy Spirit. And if God has joined you to a body, church, hang in there. Unless there is some gross misunderstanding or misapplication of Scripture that's being put into place, hang in there. Work it out together. How do we grow in awareness of what the Spirit is up to when the body of Christ is moving forward? Well, I think we grow in our awareness of the Spirit's work by practicing the spiritual disciplines. By practicing the spiritual disciplines. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul writes, For this reason... 
Since the day I heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I got to read it from the all version one more time. For this reason, we also, from the day we heard about y'all, have not ceased praying for y'all and asking God to fill y'all with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And notice at the very end, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified y'all to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. The spiritual disciplines can be practiced one-on-one with God. The spiritual disciplines can be practiced within a family, within a discipleship group, a small group, or a Bible class. The spiritual disciplines can be practiced as an entire church. But here's the key. They must be practiced. They have to be practiced. If I don't practice anything, what happens to my ability to do that thing well, whatever it is? If I don't practice, what happens? If you don't use it, you what? You lose it. Exactly. Fasting, prayer, celebration, service, study, worship, solitude, confession. These are just to name a few. There are all kinds of spiritual disciplines or spiritual exercises that are at our disposal. I encourage you, church, to use those purposefully, intentionally, often, as you grow and make disciples. Because if we don't, the inverse is also true. And that is that the Spirit can be quenched. The Spirit can be quenched. Paul warns the church in Thessalonica about this. We read in chapter 5, beginning at verse 16, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Now, two weeks from today, we're going to discuss story and growth in the disciple-making journey, and I'm looking forward to engaging in the Word with you two weeks from today. Until next time, to summarize beautiful words from the New Testament, what we've talked about today. And hopefully, again, your curiosity has peaked and you'll want to study the power of the Spirit even more, particularly in the context of discipleship. But I want you to remember a promise. This is a promise that the Holy Spirit reveals to Paul relayed to believers, and we find it in the book of Colossians, chapter 5 and verse 25. And I would like for us all to read this out loud together. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And may that be truth for the Mesa Church of Christ. 
Hey, we're going to sing a song together this morning. Perhaps you've been convicted as we've been in the Word together of your need to be baptized so that you can have your sins washed away and receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or perhaps you need prayers this morning um, for, for healing or for uh, you know, you're just at this place where I, I don't want to be in that place anymore. And you want a prayer of release and forgiveness. Whatever your need might be, a couple of the shepherds will be down front. Just please feel free to make your way down here. Let's stand together. Let's sing together. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Don't go away. Bye.